Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. I want to talk to you about the enemy today. I want to talk to you about the devil. You know, most sermons you hear are about the Lord and his promises and um, what he comes to do and what he comes to do in us and through us and for us. And those are all really good. And the majority of the time, that's what we'll preach on here. But sometimes you need to know what the enemy's up to. If you're going to understand, uh, really, if you look at the Bible as a whole, much of the Bible is about the enemy's tactics and God's triumph. All through the Bible, from Genesis, when, when the serpent comes to Eve, all the way to the book of Revelations and the dragon and the beast, from cover to cover, it is about the enemy trying to stop the Lord and the Lord saying, good try. <laughs> so if, if the scriptures are, are all about the enemy attempting and the Lord triumphing, why would we think that our lives are any different? But, but so many times... We get so consumed with our lives and what the Lord wants to do and what we should be doing, and we get distracted by, by one piece of the pie, all the while not realizing that the enemy has really got some things working. He's got some schemes working. He's got some plans working. And we're kind of in between seasons now. We're not in a series right now. Um, and so I love these times where, where we're kind of in between. We're going to start one up uh, on Easter weekend, and I'm excited about that. But I actually love sometimes when we don't have a topic. Because I can just bring a fresh word that I feel like the Lord spoke to me that week. And so um, just, just this past week I was reading. I'm just kind of doing an annual read through the Bible. And I get to the story in Nehemiah and some things just begin to jump off the page at me. And I want to I read this passage, these nine verses. And so I get up, I'm up early reading and then Michelle and I are having our quiet time together. And I'm like, Michelle, check this out. This is awesome. And so it began to, to, to speak to me in a lot of ways, and I just began to kind of build a framework for what the enemy was doing to Nehemiah, and it's the same tactics that the enemy uses against us, and I just thought that it was a beautiful parallel, beautiful symbolism, so I want to show these to you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite, favorite books of the Bible. It's so clear. It's so concise. Um, there's a lot of really good leadership principles in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, there's a lot of really good uh, ways to build things, great things, and how to build teams. Uh, but there's also some really good insights on the enemy in Nehemiah. And I want to show you a couple of those. So Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to read uh, nine verses, verses 1 through 9. So settle in. Don't, don't zone out on me, all right? Verse 1 says, when, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, their enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Samballat and Geshem sent me this message, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Anno. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop when I leave it and go down to you? That's so good. Why should I stop doing the call of God on my life to come and talk to an enemy? Verse 4. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. 
Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. And I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. And they were all trying to frighten us thinking their hand will get weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Man, I want to preach this so bad. There's so many, so many nuggets in this and it's a sneak peek into the devil's playbook. Imagine if you were going to be going to play a sports team and two days before the game, somebody brought you your opponent's playbook and you knew every play they were going to run before the game ever was played in these nine verses is the enemy's playbook and i want to show you some of these so the title of my message today is this the devil's devices the devil's devices now paul knew about this and i want to show you this in in second corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 this was paul he said Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant to his devices. We must not be ignorant to the devil's devices. This word devices in the Greek is the Greek word naima, and it means the evil purpose in the mind or thoughts. What I'm about to show you is the evil purposes in the mind or the thoughts of the devil. And I want to unpack these and walk them out one at a time. Ephesians chapter 6, we all know Ephesians chapter 6 because it talks about putting on the full armor of God and the belt of truth and all these different things, but it says this is why you need to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He has schemes and he's a broken record. He's only got a couple of them and he just comes over and over and over again with the same scheme and the same devices. So in this story, we're going to look at these, we're going to unpack them. But before I get into the devil's schemes and the devil's devices, I need to ask you one question, okay? The question is this, what are you trying to build? What are you trying to build? Nehemiah was sent to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. He was building something great. And it wasn't until he began to build something great that the enemy took notice, Okay, And if the enemy is not bothering you right now, part of me wants to say congratulations, but part of me wants to say, well, then you're not building anything worthy of the enemy's attention. Because if you begin to build something that advances the kingdom, you will get the enemy's attention. So anything worthy in the advancement of God's kingdom will attract the devil's devices. And there's part of me that just gets... gets, not necessarily excited about that because nobody gets excited about that, but there's something about us that should be, become almost satisfied or, or um, I don't know what the exact word is, not, not necessarily find pleasure in that, but at least find some comfort to know, you know what, if the enemy's coming after me, I must be doing something right. 
I must be doing something right. And so we got to ask ourselves, what are we building? Let me show you this. If we go back four chapters to chapter 2 in Nehemiah, in, in verse 10, Nehemiah 2.10, it says, When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about this, they were very much disturbed. Now, here's why. That someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They weren't upset that they came. They were upset at what they came to do. Okay? And the enemy does not care that you're in church. He wants to know what you're going to do with what you learn in church. He wants to know what you're going to do to advance the kingdom of God. If you're just a sponge and you just receive, 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 and you just bask in the goodness of the Lord, but you never go and advance the kingdom of God, the enemy's like, oh, I don't, I'm not that worried about them. So when we begin to advance the kingdom, and you're thinking, well, I don't really know what I do to advance the kingdom. Uh, can I tell you something? Building a godly marriage is advancing the kingdom of God. <laughs> However your marriage is built, if it's built godly, raising godly kids is advancing the kingdom of God. Okay? So we advance the kingdom of God not just by starting some nonprofit or doing something great or having your name in lights. It has nothing to do with that. We can advance the kingdom of God by raising up godly children. And when we do these things, you can advance the kingdom of God by sharing your faith with people at work. Okay? That's how we advance the kingdom of God. You advance the kingdom of God in your own personal relationship with the Lord. Uh, you advance the kingdom of God in how you steward God's resources. So when we begin to advance the kingdom of God, we will gain the enemy's attention. And when we do, I want you to know what his playbook is, okay? So that you can, I, I love the way Paul said it. We are not ignorant to the devil's devices, okay? So I want to give you, and I'm going to have to move fairly quickly through these, and we'll go fairly quick because I'm going to give you seven of them, seven truths about the devil's devices, okay? Pulled from these passages, pulled from these scriptures of the enemies that had come to stop Nehemiah, there's beautiful parallels between what the enemy did to Nehemiah and what the enemy comes to do to us, to stop the advancement of his kingdom. Okay, let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says, when word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, pause. We need to pause right there, okay? Before we even go into the schemes and the devices, I want to give you something that's really important here. Because it's important for you to know who these people are. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They're three different enemies, but they all had one thing in common. Okay? Uh, Sambalat, in chapter 2, it says that he was a Horonite. And scholars believe that he was from, uh, from, from a city in Moab. Okay? That the Horonites came out of Moab. Now, what you need to know about Moab is it was east of the Jordan River. It was not in the Promised Land. It was east of the Jordan River, outside the Promised Land. Tobiah was an Ammonite, okay? It says that. It says Tobiah the Ammonite. You know where the Ammonites were? East of the Jordan River. They were outside the Promised Land. Geshem was an Arab. The, 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 the Bible says Geshem the Arab. The, the Arabs were outside in, in what is now modern-day Jordan and Saudi Arabia, what did all three of these enemies have in common? None of them belonged in the promised land. When they came and, and, and uh, got upset about Nehemiah, they were going into territory that did not belong to them. So truth number one you need to know about the enemy is the enemy will cross your borders. 
okay? He will go into places that he has no authority. He will go into places that he has no right to cross into. And he may not have authority, but it doesn't mean he won't visit you there. He'll come into those places. And what we need to understand is that we have the authority as believers through the blood of Jesus, not of anything that we have, but through the blood of Jesus, we have authority over the enemy. Okay? And so we have to understand these things. And the enemy is always going to come in these ways. He's going, you just need to know, he's going to visit your marriage. He's going to come check it out. He's, he's going to visit your finances. He's, he's going to come. He's going to test the boundaries. He's going to come into your mind. He's going to visit your thoughts. He's going to plant thoughts. He's going to come into places that he has no business being. John 10, 10, you know this verse well, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy now, to steal, think about it, steal means to take something that doesn't belong to you. So he's coming to take things that he has no rightful authority to take. That's why it's called stealing. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have life to the full. So this is, this is really what you can unpack from John 10.10. 10. It says the devil comes to steal what Jesus comes to bring fullness to. So here, here's the truth. The enemy comes to steal all that Jesus came to, get, to give. So every single thing that Jesus came to this earth and paid with his body, with his, with his life, so that we could live in the fullness of, if you want to know what the enemy is coming to steal, ask yourself, what did Jesus come to give? And everything that Jesus came to give you, the enemy is coming to take from you. Your joy, he's going to come get it. Your peace, okay? Your salvation, your righteousness, everything that Jesus comes, your, your patience, uh, your purity, your eternity, he will come to take your eternity. Everything that Jesus comes to give, he comes to steal. Every place that he does not belong to be is where you will find him. <laughs> and that's why it's sneaky, because he comes into the places that you don't expect him to be in. Let's go back to verse 1. Let's keep going. Verse 1. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall... Now, this is really important. Lean in here. And not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Nehemiah was like, there was no gaps anywhere in the wall except for where I hadn't put the doors on yet. Truth number two about the enemy is the enemy will always look for a door. Uh, Michelle and I, uh, not too long ago, I had a pest control guy come out to our house, and I wanted him to look for ants. I, I, I thought we had an ant problem. I was afraid there were carpenter ants, and he came out. He said, you don't have carpenter ants, but I checked out your attic, and you have an infestation of mice in your attic. And I, I'm like, well, how are they getting in? I don't, I don't understand how they're getting in. And he pulled out his phone, and he started showing me these videos of mice that will scale brick walls. They'll climb vertically up brick walls and they'll, they'll go into cracks that are like an eighth of the size of their body. And they can go into these tiny places. And, you know, I, there was a roof on my house to protect my house, right? But these mice were finding places that I would have never thought to look the cracks, and I had to pay a 
pretty good amount of money for these guys to come out and fill fill these cracks and and make sure that vents were covered with wire mesh and even the 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 holes in the brick where they they let the water leak out they would put mesh in there and every little nook and cranny they would begin to to fill the gap and fill the hole and what i begin to realize about the enemy is nehemiah had built the entire wall in his mind he's like guys we're done he, he said every gap, there were no gaps left. Because if you go back a couple of chapters later, early, earlier they were saying, well, there was a gap here and we brought people here to reinforce that part of the wall. And he's all excited. He's like, there's no more gaps left. And he's like, oh, but we haven't put the doors on yet. And when I read that, it jumped off the page at me. And I was reminded of 1 Peter 5, 8, where it says, be alert and sober-minded because your enemy, the devil, prowls around. He's, he's looking for someone to devour. It doesn't say he just comes to your front door and the doors close. It's like, well, oh well, we tried. It says, no, he prowls around the entire barrier of your fence, looking for a gap, looking for any little nook and cranny that he can get his work his way into. And this word prowls around, in Greek it means this, to make due use of opportunities. He's making due use of any opportunities that you give him. And so when I read this and I really began to unpack it, I sat down and Michelle and I had a conversation about it. And I began to just think, okay, I feel like my marriage is good. I I feel like my finances are good. I I can relate to Nehemiah going, the wall is built. But then I was forced to think, but if I had a gap, where would it be? And I begin to think strategically is, okay, I, I feel like the wall is done. I feel like my marriage is good. This June, we will have been married 20 years. She's amazing. I love my wife. We have a beautiful marriage. But there was a part of me that said, now, if, if there was any weakness in me, where would it be? And can I tell you guys, fellas, in your marriage, most men are going to be the most susceptible with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Okay? And if you're a woman... Your woman, that sounds terrible. You're a woman. You're, if your spouse, okay, that's a little more appropriate. If your spouse is not loving you the way that you think that you deserve to be loved, there's a gap in your wall. Women, you're more likely to um, not have any desire for that. Your more desire is emotional, that you want to feel like you, you are accepted, that, that somebody is emotionally caring for you. This, this is a back door. Um, it forced me to think about my kids, right? So we're doing our best to raise godly kids. But it forced me to think, now, if the enemy was going to come after my kids, where would they be the most susceptible? Probably when they take the iPad and they go to their room for an hour. And I'm not quite sure. I think I know what they're watching, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, my kids are susceptible to culture. My kids are susceptible to the friends they hang out with. And so you can be building the most beautiful wall, trying to build your kids' life in the most beautiful way possible. But do we ever stop to think, but what doors have I not hung yet? What gap do I have? What about your money? What about your money? Right? We, I preached several weeks ago that the love of money is the root of all evil. So if the enemy was going to creep into my finances, where would he do it at? Where would he do it? 
Uh, if the enemy was going to creep into my mind, where would he have the easiest way? And it just forces us to really step back and look at our lives and say, what is the enemy trying to do? Where are the weak points? Where have I failed to hang a, hang a door? Okay. So the enemy's always looking for a back door and you need to know that. And he won't stop doing it. Let's keep going. Verse two, verse two says this, Sam Ballot and Geshem sent me this message. This is important. They sent me a message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Anno. But they were scheming to harm me. Now, think about this. It says, Sambala and Geshem sent me a message. Truth number three about the enemy. The enemy is continually sending messages. All the time. All the time. Thoughts. Jealousy. Looking at somebody else's social media pages. It, there's so many different forms of messages that come to us from the enemy. If you don't believe me, ask Eve. The enemy came to Eve with some devices. Remember the devices? And, and the serpent was whispering messages to Eve. Whispering these messages saying, oh, surely the Lord didn't say that. Did, did he really say that? Did he really say that? You will not surely die, Eve. Surely not. He was continually sending these messages uh, to Eve. And he's sneaky. If for, for Nehemiah's enemy, the scheme wasn't to destroy Nehemiah. Now think about this. The enemy wasn't to destroy. Sembalat and Tobiah and Geshem, they weren't saying, let's go cut his head off. That wasn't their tactic. Their tactic was not to destroy Nehemiah. It was to distract Nehemiah. And Nehemiah continually said to them, I will not stop the work to come down and talk to you. I will not allow my mind to become distracted by the enemy's message that are continually being thrown out to me. And the devil doesn't need to destroy you either. He just needs to distract you. He just wants to distract us. The devil's primary purpose is to hinder the advancement of the kingdom of God. Okay? His primary purpose is he wants to hinder the advancement of the kingdom. And if you're in his way, he will stop you too. And he will distract you too if it's going to come in between him and advancing the kingdom of God. And he knows that he can't stop us. Technically, he can only hinder us. As children of God, he can't stop you. He can distract you, okay? He can't destroy the church. The devil can't destroy the church. Did you know that? Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So he can't destroy the church, but he can distract the church. He can distract us. He can't directly destroy your marriage, but he can indirectly start having you get a texting convo with that coworker at work. He can indirectly distract us. He can't destroy or necessarily touch your kids, but he can distract your kids by you giving them that little phone. You better watch what they're watching on that phone. You better watch what parts of culture are being invaded into your children. He can distract us. He can get us off track. He can, he can stop us from what he wants us to do. Uh, he can't catch, he, you, know what, you know what the devil can't do either? He can't cancel your calling but he can distract you from your calling with something called comfort. So he's constantly sending messages. You should know this about the enemy. And you should begin to decipher when you get a text message from the devil versus the Holy Spirit. Right? Sometimes I'll get text messages from, from somebody and the number I don't recognize. And I'll just text back, you know, I'm sorry, I guess I lost your contact, a.k.a., you know, also known as, 
I have no idea who you are, and I probably didn't put your name in my phone for a reason. Uh, so I'm sorry. There's somebody out there that I've texted that to. But there's, there's texts that you get that you're not sure who it's from. Can you decipher the enemy's messages versus the Holy Spirit's messages? Because that's a tactic of the, of the enemy, and he is deceptive, y'all. We're going to cover that in a minute. Paul even said, I think this verse is in my notes, we'll cover it in a minute. Paul even said that the enemy will deceive you and he'll present himself as light. Man, he's good. The enemy's good at this, y'all. So we better know his stuff. Okay, let's keep going. I got to hurry. Verse 4. Look at verse 4. So he sent messages. Verse 4 says, four times they sent the same message. Same exact message four times. And each time I gave them the same answer. Verse 5. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. Truth number four about the enemy, you need to know this, the enemy is persistent. He is persistent. Um, we, sometimes we like to think of the enemy as like once every six months he's going to come, and if I'll just rebuke the devourer, then I'm good for a while. Guys, every single day. This guy is coming after you every day. He's persistent. And he doesn't care if it's repetitive. He's only got a couple of tricks. That's the good thing. You don't need, the playbook isn't really that big with the enemy. He's got the same, this says, Nehemiah says, four times he sent me the same message. Same thing over and over. And some of you struggle with the same thing over and over and over, you don't think you're good enough, you don't think you're smart enough, you don't think you're pretty enough, and it's the same message that the devil just regurgitates and throws back at you every day because he's persistent. I don't like fishing. I, I'm not a, I, I'm not, I don't, I like, let me, let me rephrase that. I like fishing when I go with a tour guide, and he knows exactly where the fish are, and I don't have to wait. He's like, here, here's the bait, throw it in the water, and within 30 seconds, I'm like, whoo, yeah, here we go. I'm a fisherman. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, you've heard these guys that go deer hunting on these fenced-in farms where they raise deer. That is not hunting. I'm sorry. Okay? That's shooting fish in a barrel. You're not a hunter. Take off the camo. Like, you could walk out there with an orange jacket on and be screaming and kill a deer. Okay? That's not hunting. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I, that's the only way I like to fish. You know why? Because I don't have the patience. I'm just too impatient. I am not persistent enough. Pastor Wade is a fisherman. Pastor Wade loves to fish. I don't like to fish. We went on a leadership retreat recently. Pastor Wade and I was fishing, and the only reason I was enjoying it because we were catching stuff. And as soon as they stopped biting, I'm like, let's go. These fish are done. I'm done. Let's go. But you know what a, good, a really good person, my dad loves to fish. You know what a good persistent fisherman does? Let's try a different lure. You know what? We came out here at 2, 2 p.m. Tomorrow, let's come out at 7 a.m. You know what? They're not over here. You see that tree over there in the water? I bet you the fish are right over there. Let's just row over there in the boat. It's persistence. And you know what the devil will do? Let me change the lure. Let me change that lure. She seems really tired now. Let me throw this lure out now. She's a little worn down. I bet you she'll bite now. He's been building this business. He's really tired. COVID hit. Then we had the racial tension. 
And then we had a snowstorm. I bet you they're pretty weary now. Let's throw that bait. It didn't work last year, but I bet you if we throw out the bait this time, I bet you he'll bite. The enemy is persistent. And you need to know this about the enemy. It's the same temptation. Like I said, the devil doesn't come with a lot of different options. The only thing that changes is you. And your willingness to take the bait. Okay? So we need to know this about the enemy, that he is extremely, extremely persistent. And he's casting his lines on the lake of your life. Every single day. Okay, let's go to the next one. Verse 6. Verse 6. In which was written. Now what it's saying is, so... So Samballot brought his aid, delivered me this letter, and this is what the letter said. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Now, i got to pause there for a second because I can't help with where we're at in our nation and how truth has been diluted down to nothing. Truth is subjective to whatever you think truth is. And this is what the enemy is doing in the story because Sam Ballot's like, hey, it's been reported and Geshem says it's true. I'm like, who's Geshem? Who cares what Geshem thinks? Is Geshem, is Geshem God? Like, who cares what Geshem thinks? So he's giving this false narrative to try to scare Nehemiah. He says, it's reported among the nations and Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. And moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. So what's he doing? He's telling lies. Truth number five about the enemy that you need to know is the enemy is a deceiver. He is the master of lies. You thought your kids were. No. Your kids are pretty good at it too. But the devil is... An amazing liar. Watch what it says in, in John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Watch, it's talking about the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language. And he is a liar and the father of lies. I like that it says native language. You know what it means when you have a native language? My native language is English. And I don't know any other language. Donde esta el baño? Like, that's about it. Like, I can't really go any further than that. Do you know when the devil speaks his native language, every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie? Because he literally doesn't know any other language. It's his only language, is lying. This picture of the message that Nehemiah got was a picture of the enemy. He was trying to drive Nehemiah to a place of fear that would cause him to react and to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God long enough to become distracted and to go and talk to the enemy. Okay? And this is what's happening in this text. He says, it's reported among the nations. Rumor has it, Nehemiah. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody says so. It's reported among social media that you're a loser. You don't have any followers. <laughs> it, it's reported on CNN. It's reported am among the nations. It's, it's reported in culture. It's reported in pornography. It's reported in every other avenue that the enemy has to send messages to your mind. It's reported among the nations, and it's all laced with lies. It, now, now, remember, let's go back to Eve again, because I want to show you this. 
If you ask Eve why she took a bite of the apple, she would say, I was deceived. Why do I think that? Because it's what she says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And her reply was, the serpent deceived me. I was deceived. And that's why I ate it. Do you know the tricky thing about being deceived is you don't know you're being deceived. That's why it's called deceived. (laughs) It's a deception, and this is what the enemy will always lead with. This word deceived, according to Webster Dictionary, is to cause to accept as true or valid what is actually false or invalid. Okay? This is deceived, and this is what our nation is encountering right now. Our nation is being deceived with what truth is. There is this, you know, culture that's saying truth is whatever you say truth is. This word deceived in, 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 in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word nasha, and it means to lead astray, to delude, and to seduce. Now, this is the scripture I referenced a while ago. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Paul says, but I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Because if it were easy for everyone to notice when the devil was doing something, then he wouldn't, it wouldn't be that hard, right? We would all be like, oh, that's the devil. I see you, devil. Like you showed up with your red suit on and your horns and your pitchfork. I saw you coming a mile away. This is what makes it really, really hard. And this is why your relationship with the Lord is so important and that you're hearing the voice of the Lord and that you're not just coming to church, but you're getting into the word, that you're hearing the voice of the Lord for yourself because the devil will present himself as an angel of light. That's tricky. That's tricky. So we have to be on guard. We have to know. We have to be such, we, have, we must have such discernment. Okay, let's go to verse six. End of verse six says this. So this is still the enemy talking to Nehemiah in this letter. And the letter says, moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this is where he really throws the dagger at Nehemiah. Okay. Now remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Okay. He was the cupbearer to this king. And the enemy says, now this report will get back to the king. So, let us meet together. Let us meet together. Here's all the lies. In fact, if you don't come meet with us and clear this whole rumor up, then the word's going to get back to the king, the one in whom you served. Truth number six about the enemy is the enemy's primary weapon is fear. It is always fear. It is always fear. Because fear will cause you to do things that you would not normally do. I almost started talking about something, but I'm not going to. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So two things that fear does. Fear, uh, the enemy comes to strike us with fear to try to get us to do what he wants us to do. Okay? He's pretty smart. Smart guy. Samballat said, rumor is that you want to become the king. And the king is about to find out. And all you need to do, Nehemiah, is come meet with us. Just, just come down from the work 
and meet with me. Two things about fear you need to know. The first one is this. Fear makes us stop the work. And this is why the devil wants you to be fearful. Because if he can make you afraid, then you'll stop the work. You'll stop advancing the kingdom. You'll stop raising godly kids. You'll stop working on your marriage. You'll stop trying to get your relationship with the Lord worked out. Because he wants, to, he wants to stop you from doing the work. And in order for you to engage in fear, this is really important, in order for you to engage in fear, you must disengage with advancing the kingdom of God. You cannot do both. You cannot advance the kingdom of God with fear. So he wants to get you to disengage, to engage with fear, therefore causing you to disengage with the advancement of the kingdom of God. This is his tactic. You should know about it. The second thing about fear is this. Fear drives us to consult with the devil. He was trying to get Nehemiah to come and consult with the enemy. And I'm going to strike you with fear, and all you have to do, Nehemiah, is come and talk to me. And let us get you through this, Nehemiah. We'll help you. We'll help navigate this whole thing. We'll make sure that the king knows that you're not doing that. Begin the deception, the lies, and it was all in effect trying to get him. And it says this in King James, in the King James Version, it says, so come and let us counsel together. I like that. King James Version says, come and let us counsel together. We'll do it together. It'll be great. Now this word, you got to understand this word, this Hebrew word for, for meet together or counsel together is the, is the Hebrew word ya'as, and it means to consult, to give counsel to conspire, to devise a plan. What, what you do when you have fear and you come and consult with the enemy, what you're saying is, God, I don't need your help. I got this one. I'm going to take care of this one. If fear is what you feel, the enemy has your ear. Plain and simple. If you're gripped by fear, it is not the Lord. Okay. Sometimes people say, well, I, I really feel like God's calling me to give away a thousand dollars to this organization, but I don't know. I don't know if it's the Lord. And my reply is, well, did the devil tell you to be generous? Like it's not that hard. I'm pretty sure the devil didn't tell you to do that. Well, I really feel like the Lord told me to stop and help that homeless man, but I don't know if it was the Lord. Seriously? Like the devil's like, I want you to stop and be generous to this person and love them. No. Right. That's, that's this idea. That's this thought. So if fear is what you feel, the enemy has your ear, okay? If peace is what you feel, then God has your ear. That's how you decipher it. If the enemy is trying to come in, do you, are you anxious about it? Are you fearful about it? Then the enemy is trying to get you to consult with him and, and, and seek counsel through him. Genesis 3, verse 9, it says, but the Lord called the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is Adam. And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was afraid. Okay? So he's going to tell us why he was afraid. Adam actually says why. I was afraid because I was naked. And the Lord says, who told you you were naked? You know what it tells me? The enemy caused Adam to become fearful, therefore driving him to consult with the enemy. And that's why God says, well, who have you been talking to? Who told you that you were naked? You found counsel with the enemy and not me. 
So fear will drive you to consult with things that you should not be consulting with, okay? So Satan, I want you to think about this. I thought about this as I was writing this message. The very first act of Satan on earth was deception with Eve. The very first time the enemy appears on the scene, he's deceiving. His very first act. His very second act was uh, fear and shame. First was deception. Second, fear and shame. It's the same story thousands of years later. He doesn't have that many weapons, y'all. They're the same weapons. Okay, you need to know what the devil's schemes are. The last one is this. Let's go to verse 8. This one's the most important one, okay? Nehemiah's response is critical. (laughs) Nehemiah was a sharp dude. And so Nehemiah said, I sent him this reply. This is what I told him. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're a liar. You're a liar. You are just making it all up in your head. Nehemiah, I don't know this to be true because the scripture doesn't tell us, but Nehemiah had to take a step back and process all of this. Like, no, wait a minute here. I'm doing a good work. The enemy keeps sending me the same message over and over again. Now, if I go down and and consult with this person, I'm not going to be able to finish this work. And I haven't hung the doors yet, so I'm susceptible to the enemy. So I shouldn't walk away from the work to go and consult with the enemy. And so finally, he came to the resolve that we need to come to is understanding that every word that has come out of the enemy's mouth is a straight-up lie. And looking back at the enemy and saying, nothing that you are saying is true. Now, you know what it takes for you to be able to do that? You have to know truth. Do you know the only source of truth, right? It's the scripture. So for every lie, this is really important, for every lie the enemy comes to you with, you must have truth to give back to him. So the the seventh truth about the enemy is this. Your enemy has no reply to the truth. None. Did you know that the enemy actually knows the Bible better than you do? So he's just wanting to know if you know it. And so when we come back to the enemy with truth, he has no reply because it is truth. He, he has nothing that he can say in reply to this. Watch what, watch what it says in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul understood this. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? It's any lie the enemy has brought to you. It can become a stronghold if you receive it. So he goes on to say this, verse 5, we demolish arguments. Now think about what an argument is. An argument is something that you came and gave me a message and then I argued back with you. We're trying to decide. When you argue with somebody, you're trying to decide who's right. (laughs) Who has the truth here? And Paul is saying, God's truth demolishes arguments. We're not going to argue over this devil. You're wrong. God's word is right. It's not an argument. And Paul is saying we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it. We make it. You've heard these sermons before. The, The Greek word for this means to arrest. You make it. When that thought comes in, you spin it around, take its hands, handcuff it, and escort it back out of your mind. You have to to arrest it. It becomes arrested, 
and you lock it away. You put, you put it in its rightful place. So we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to truth, which is Christ. It's got to be obedient to truth. And if you don't know the truth, that's why the Bible says, and the truth will set you free. It'll set you free. The truth will set you free. Now, when I started this sermon, this next verse was the one that I was going to preach. So I'll preach it now, but just for a second, I promise. This is the verse that jumped off the page of me that started this whole thing. Verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us. So this was Nehemiah's concluding thought. They were just trying to frighten us. And they were thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And it will not be completed. She got too good. She got too tired to be a good mom anymore. She got distracted. Life got hard. And she just said, let's just have a, another glass of wine. Let the kids go into the room and play on the iPad because I'm just too tired to deal with these kids tonight. Just send them off. Got too tired to do the work. And I got too tired as a man to do the work of guarding my mind. And I thought, you know what? Just pull up that website. I'm tired. I don't... I gotta have, I gotta have some release. I gotta have, I gotta relieve the stress. And this is what the enemy said. Yep, you got too tired to do the work. But I love Nehemiah's reply. He says, but I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands to do the work. Give me the strength that I need to do the work. Give me the strength that I need to understand the devil's devices and to counterattack with the truth of God's word. And I came to just tell you one final truth. It's not a truth of the devil. It's the truth that the, that the Lord wants to come and speak over you today. And the truth is you are strong enough to finish the work. You are strong enough. You're strong enough. You're strong enough to fight for your marriage. You are strong enough. You're strong enough to raise those kids. You're strong enough. You are strong enough. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. I preached a long time today. I'm almost done. Psalm 144 says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hand for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. Psalm 18, 32 through 35 says, God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on the mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. And you have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. And your help has made me great. And this is what the scripture is telling you. It's saying you're strong enough because God's strong enough. And God is saying it'll be your hand, but it'll be his strength. This is why God told Moses, raise the staff. Stretch out your arm and raise the staff over the Red Sea. If you'll just do that, I'll part it for you. It'll be your hand, but it'll be his strength. So I want to I pray over you today, and I, I wrestled with how to conclude this, but I think I just want to pray that, that God would strengthen your hand. I think there's weariness in the room. I think there's weariness at Edmund. I think there's weariness online with the craziness of the world that we live in. And I don't want you to give up. I want you to know what the enemy's been doing. He's been casting different lures into the lake of your life, seeing which one you'll bite. 
And I want you to know his tactics. And I want you to know that you are strong enough. You are strong enough to do the work. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in his presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.